Hi, and welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. This is a sermon recording taken from one of our regular church services. You can find out more about us as well as more recordings like this one on our website, yokinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. Let us get into God's Word. This is kind of the second part of where we started last week. In um, 1955, uh, they opened up Disneyland uh, in California. And just a few years later, 1959, Walt Disney began looking for land to build something even bigger and better. And so he was flying over Florida in 1963 and he found just the right spot. Well, Walt Disney died in 1966 and the park itself didn't open until 1971, so five years after he died. So he never got to see the opening ceremony. He never got to partake of that wonderful ex uh, excitement. And during the opening ceremony, someone came up to Walt's wife and said to her, gee, it's such a shame that Walt is not here to see this. And she responded, he did see it, otherwise it wouldn't be here. Vision is the starting point of any journey. Um, I don't know about you, but I rarely just, you know, randomly get in my car and start driving. I, 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 and, you know, then just sort of wonder, oh, where am I? <laughs> I generally get into it with a purpose of going somewhere. You know, I don't just jump in my car and head east, you know, and then four hours later go, oh, I've got no fuel, I've got no food, um, and, gee, I certainly haven't reached Bustleton yet. You know, we don't generally do that, do we? Generally, I know where I'm going and where I want to arrive. Um, and then I look at a map or a GPS and I work out how I'm going to get there and how long it's going to take. And that occurs whether I'm heading off on a long holiday with Margaret or if I'm just heading down the church to meet somebody. I have a, a plan. I know where I'm going. And that, that is a, a simple definition of what it means to have a vision. There's a wonderful passage in, um, in the Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, the people perish, or at least that's what the, uh, the King James Version says. The word perish that they use there is a difficult one to translate, and I guess if you come and do the Hebrew course, you'll be able to find that out. But different Bible translations translate that differently. So, for instance, the, the Bible in basic English says, where there is no vision, the people are uncontrolled. Or law and order disappear. People will lose self-control. People will stumble over themselves. They will run wild or they will cast off restraint. Or to put it in the PJ version, people fall apart without vision. See, vision keeps us focused and moving in the right direction. Nehemiah had a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he didn't just sort of think about the vision. He didn't just sort of look at it and think, oh, yeah, there's a vision there. He didn't just talk about it. He lived it. 
And so this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about what it means to have a vision as a church and how we can support the church's vision. So firstly, we can support the church's vision by seeking God. Now, I like to think I'm a fairly clever person and I have all sorts of great ideas and I'm sure I could come up with a great vision for the church. But that would be my vision. It wouldn't necessarily be your vision. And there's no guarantee it's going to be God's vision, which is the one that really counts. See, our starting point always has to be, what does God want? Now, that might kind of seem really obvious when you say it out loud, um, but how often do we run ahead of God with our wonderful ideas that we have and then kind of look back and say, are you, are you coming, God? Are you going to join us on this? In uh, Colossians, Paul writes, since we've been raised with Christ, we should set our hearts on things above. We should set our minds on things above. In other words, having a vision is not just about looking on the bright side. It's looking on God's side. It's looking at life from his perspective. And you see, vision and faith are very closely related. In Hebrews, we read that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. So it's like Walt Disney no one else could see the vision for Disney World. He saw the vision and made it possible. And so our first task as Christians and as a church is to try and see things from God's perspective, to see what it is that he wants. Because I believe that a godly vision is always one that's challenging, always one that just appears that, just that little bit out of reach, you know, that forces you to rely on him for its fulfillment. You know, uh, I, I can have a really, really simple vision. You know, I'm going to get in my car and drive home. That's a simple vision, and I can accomplish that without God's help. But if my vision is to get in my car and go and find a, a, a community and preach the gospel to them out there, that's a lot harder. That's going to take far more than just a bit of petrol and time. It's going to take an anointing of God's spirit. It's going, to, it's going to stretch me out of my comfort zone. So God's vision is always pushing us that little bit further. God's vision gives us that conviction to keep going when things get tough. And look, even the greatest of people find it tough sometimes. So consider... Um, Charles Wesley, right? Here's, here's just a couple of pages out of his diary. Right? Now, we might look back and think, oh, wow, one of the greatest preachers of all time. Here's his diary entry. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday evening, May 5th, preached at St John's, the deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday, May 12th, preached at St Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday evening, May 12th, preached at St. George's, got kicked out of there too. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. The deacons called a special meeting and told me I couldn't return. Sunday evening, May 19th, I preached on the street and was kicked off the street. May 26th, I preached in a meadow. I was chased out of the meadow as they turned a bull loose during the service. On June 2nd, I preached at the edge of town and kicked off the highway. On Sunday afternoon, June the 2nd, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came to hear the word of God. 
You see, even the greatest will struggle sometimes, but you keep going because you have a vision. The, um, one day we read that the Lord appeared to Solomon. And the Lord appeared and said to him, Solomon, I've chosen a temple for myself. You know, and he, he went on and said this, when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send plagues or whatever, I do all that, right? That's in fulfillment because just like Nehemiah said, God, you fulfill your word. When we don't obey you, these things are going to happen. And he says, however, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, it's such a pity that Solomon, who started out so clearly following God's vision, in later years abandoned the vision of God for his own pleasures. You know, God created this incredible kingdom. And shortly after Solomon's death, the kingdom split. Without vision, God's people are tall, torn apart. The second way we can support the church and its vision is through prayer. So if we continue with that, that passage we just looked at, if my people will humble themselves and pray... How do we seek God? Well, generally, we seek God through prayer. You know, prayer is just a fancy word that means having communication with God. And we don't just seek God. So we don't just go, oh, God, I, I, you know, give me your vision. And then God gives us a vision and we say, thanks, God, I'm going to do the rest myself. We have to continue in prayer with God throughout the, the thing. We need God to sustain us as we journey forward. Um, James wrote this about prayer. He said, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he talked about Elijah being a normal human being like we are. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it stopped raining. Then when he prayed that it would rain, the heavens opened the floodgates and it rained again. Power is effective. So if we go back to, to Wesley, who we talked about before... He had a man who had one job in his ministry. His job was to go ahead of Wesley to the town or the village, wherever it was that he was going to preach, and just pray. Now, I'm convinced that this guy is to credit for a large degree of Wesley's success. Because everywhere Wesley went, this guy went ahead of him and prayed for God to work. But I don't even know the guy's name. Don't even know his name. All I know is that he prayed. See, because he wasn't after the glory. He wasn't after his name. He was after God's glory. Back at the very beginning of the church, when they started, we read that they devoted themselves to prayer. Devoted themselves to prayer. You know, the early church knew they couldn't do anything without God's Spirit. You know, when they first started, there were 120 of them. That's it. 120 of them. And on that one day, as they, as they began to pray, 3,000 joined their number. And today, today there are billions of Christians around the world. 
or through devoting themselves to prayer. You see, these people prayed and they received the power of God's Spirit. These people prayed and they got a vision for what the church could become. And they didn't just say, Lord, give us a vision and now go away, God. They continued in prayer constantly. We need to devote ourselves to prayer. Without vision, people stop praying. Thirdly, we support the church and its vision through acts of ministry. So let's pick up that same passage again and continue on in Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it talks about how they were together. They devoted themselves to one another. You know, often you'll hear people use an expression like, oh, so-and-so is, or like I could say, where, where, where are you, where are you, where are you, Simon? Out there somewhere. Simon is studying at Bible college to go into the ministry. And we use that as an expression, don't we? In the ministry. Ministry just means service. All of us are called to service. Uh, in Mark, when Jesus talked to his disciples about this, we, we looked at this passage last week. He said that if you want to become great in God's kingdom, you've got to learn to serve. Service is where it's all about. And then he used himself as an example and he said, the whole reason I came here was to serve and give my life. See, a church is not an organism. Uh, sorry, an, an organisation, it's an organism. It's a body. You know, a church doesn't, doesn't run itself by staff. A church can only grow through the interaction of every part of the body. That's every one of us. So I can preach every week and I can do lots of planning and I can do lots of visiting, but I'm just one person. And even with the power of God, what I can do alone is limited. The church council is made up of a small number of people who all have families and jobs and everything as well. But the church body as a whole is all of us. We are the church. Every time you walk out of the door of this building, you take the church with you. The only way a church can fulfill its mission is if every one of us is working together towards that goal. So Paul went on to say, just as the body, though it is many parts, all its parts form one body. The body is not made up of many parts. The body is, but, sorry, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. Every one of us is part of that body. Every one of us is valuable. About um, 350 years ago, a shipload of travellers landed on the northeast coast of America. You know, these, these were pioneers, they were pilgrims, right? In the first year, they established a town site. In the second year, they elected a town government. In the third year, the town government decided to build a road that went five years out into the countryside. So in the fourth year, the people impeached their government <laughs> because they couldn't see what is the point of a road that goes five miles out of town. What kind of nonsense is that? And so they impeached their government. Here were people who had the vision to sail 5,000 miles across the world to establish a new colony, 
but once they got there, it's kind of like, oh, the vision stopped. We can't see five, five miles out of town anymore. You know, I don't expect that people should be part of ministries that they're not passionate about, that they can't see a vision for. You know, I don't like saying, oh, we must have a, must have a women's ministry, must have a youth ministry, must have this, you know, and then, and then basically kind of guilt people into doing it. The only people that you want serving in those kind of ministries are people who see the vision for that ministry, people who are passionate about it. And this is where Nehemiah came in. You know, the people of God were dispirited. The people of God were, were there in Jerusalem and the walls were broken and they were depressed and they couldn't see any way forward. But Nehemiah had a vision. He saw what God saw, that when his people follow his way, God will pour out the blessing. And so Nehemiah had that incredible vision. And it was through his vision that the whole body of people started to embrace God's vision and all work together. But without a vision, God's people stop serving. Fourth, we support the church in its vision financially. You know, companies will only invest in something that they see value for, right? And you've probably heard lots of news about the stock market recently, that sort of thing. But companies generally, they're, they're very self-interested. They need to see that there's going to be profit in the future. They need to have that vision before they will invest their money into something. But it's interesting how often people get it wrong. So, for instance, uh, up there, uh, Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM, back in 1943 said, I think there's a market for maybe five computers in the world. How close was his vision? Or Ken Olsen, the president of the Digital Equipment Corporation said, there's no reason why anyone would want to have a computer in their home. Think about that. Or a memo from Western Union back in 1876, oh, the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. Now, can you imagine anyone walking around without a phone in their pocket now? Or the words of the Decker Recording Company when they turned down the Beatles in 1962. Oh, we don't like their sound and we think guitar music's on the way out. But in all those cases, somebody else came along and they saw the vision of what could be achieved. And so now, you know, you look at IBM as one of the richest companies in the world because someone else in the company said, no, mate, you're wrong. I can see this vision. Walt Disney had a vision and they are one of the hugest companies in the world today. And there's Disney Worlds and Disneylands all over the world. Almost any child on the planet could tell you who Mickey Mouse is because that man had a vision. Now, at one time, the people of Israel stopped giving because they could no longer see the vision. They saw no point in giving. And so God says to them, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings, says the Lord. And then he goes on and says, look, I want you to test me in this. See if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough storerooms to store it. He restored a vision for the people so they had a reason to give. A vision of floodgates of blessing. I, um, I went out to um, uh, some friend's house last night for dinner and halfway through dinner, the floodgates of heaven opened from the garden as the sprinklers came on. <laughs> Not exactly what we were hoping for, but still. <laughs> now... I'm not a prosperity preacher, all right? You, know, you, you should know me by now that how I feel that I think that kind of stuff is rubbish. You don't just, oh, all I need is enough faith and I will be rich, that kind of stuff. I don't believe that. I don't believe God makes us rich because he wants to, you know, oh, I like you, I'm going to make you rich. That's what the rich young man thought, you know, in last week's sermon. You know, he went to Jesus and asked him about eternal life. And he said, oh, but I've done this, this, and this. And obviously God loves me because I'm rich. But I am convinced that God will provide. Um, my parents-in-law were missionaries. And the founder of their mission was Hudson Taylor. And he said that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision. Paul says something very similar. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And he goes on and says, as God is able to bless you abundantly so that you have everything you need and you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. See, what Paul's saying here is that I don't give so that I will get. You've probably heard preachers say that. Oh, look, just, just give me that money and it'll come back to you tenfold. And Paul says, that's not the point of giving. We give, we demonstrate the generosity of God's heart, and he in turn blesses us so that we can give again. Everything God blesses me with is so that I can bless somebody else. If God wanted to bless me to just be a rich person and just wallow in my own wealth or dive into my piles of money like Scrooge McDuck, then he would do so, but he doesn't. You know, I'm just grateful that, uh, that my in-laws never had the expectation that their, their daughter had to be looked after in the lap of luxury because it's not going to happen. <laughs> not in my line of work anyway. <laughs> God doesn't make me rich for the sake of my own pleasure. God blesses me so that I can in turn continue to bless others and bless the church of God. But without vision... God's people stop giving. Now, I don't mind change. I'm not, a, I'm not a stick in the mud. I have no problem changing direction if I think I'm going the wrong way. You know, if my GPS tells me I have to go down this street but there's a traffic blockage there, I can turn and I can redirect and I can go another direction. But I don't like to just change something just for the sake of changing it. Sometimes we do need a really fresh start. But at other times, what we need to do is simply come back to where we were going in the first place and remind ourselves of what our vision is. 
And I think that's where we find ourselves uh, as a community, as a church. So we have a vision statement, and you'll see it on our, um, on our newsletter, you'll see it on our website, you'll see it all over the place. The vision is to see people from every nation worshipping an awesome God together. Now, the challenge that I want to put before us over the next several weeks is to ask ourselves some important questions. Do we still believe that this is the vision that God would have us articulate? Or do we feel that God is challenging us to something new? See, we don't have to change just for the sake of changing. We don't necessarily have to come up with a brand new vision statement. We might look at that and we might go, yeah, we believe that is still the vision statement we want to adopt, but then we start talking seriously about how we achieve it. And so that's the challenge. That's the challenge that we have before us. Now, next, underneath that vision statement, we have a, a, a series of three mission statements. To share the Lord Jesus with those around us, to care for ourselves and for others, and to dare to be willing to serve God and others. So share, care, and dare. And again, we need to ask ourselves a similar question. Are these the mission statements that we want to carry forward? Are they going to take us towards our vision? Or if not, do we need to be changing? Is God doing something new among us? And as we look at the areas of ministry and the things that we're doing as a church, are we living up to that? So these are the questions. And so we are currently in phase one of our program of vision. And step one is mostly about evaluating where are we now as far as God's vision stand. And so as part of the process of getting towards that, um, we've prepared a, a congregational survey. Now, I'll be sending out the, the uh, emailing the link to everybody, but it's, it's, it's pretty easy to, to find. Oh, forget that link up there. Um, so I've amended it now. It simply is ybc.church slash survey. And I'll email you out the link. Um, I also have a small number of surveys on paper um, here as well. So if people want to use that, they can. I prefer them to be done online because uh, otherwise all those paper ones, I've then got to enter them online anyway to calculate all the results. Um, and I'm asking that we do that over the next three weeks. So take some time to evaluate where you think we are as a church. What are you happy with? What do you think we need to grow better in? And that's the challenge for us. If you look in your newsletter, you'll notice that the the vision process on one side and the vision and mission statements on the other uh, are all there for us to evaluate. Um, once we've got all the surveys back, then we kind of move into phase two where we start having some more focused discussions about the implications and what's come out of the survey results, that sort of thing. So I invite you to join us on that journey. You know, because I don't want to have Jason's vision for the church. I don't want to have Margaret's vision for the church. I want us together to discover God's vision for our church, something that we all own together, something that we're all keen on, something that we all want to get involved in. See, because without vision, 
God's people are torn apart. Without vision, God's people stop praying. Without vision, God's people stop serving. And without vision, God's people stop giving. Or to quote Proverbs in the, in the PJ version, where there is no per- vision, the people fall apart. Nehemiah had a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it was only through that vision that the people of God started to embrace and move forward as a nation. But Nehemiah didn't just sort of think about the vision. He didn't just talk about it. He lived the vision. And so I encourage each of us as members of this body, um, who are each person is valuable in their own right, to support the church and its vision by seeking God, by prayer, by getting involved in ministry, and by contributing financially. And that's the challenge for us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we want to know your vision for us individually, for our families, and for our congregation. Lord, we want to be people not like, not like those that were so short-sighted that thought the Beatles would never last, but those that saw a vision and, and embraced it and achieved something like Walt Disney. Lord, we want to be people like Nehemiah who believe you when you say that you will pour out the floodgates of blessing, that you will grow your church. And we want to be people who can see that. And so we ask you, Lord, to help us to be willing to listen to you. Help us to seek you and to pray as we embrace and and reach towards your vision. Lord, help us to put aside our own, uh, our thoughts sometimes that are sometimes at odds with what you want to achieve. Sometimes we think too small, God. But help us to see a vision that will force us to grow and that will stretch us, that will excite us, that will challenge us. Lord, because this is not our church, this is your church. And Lord, we want to grow your church. We want to grow your kingdom. We want to see your name glorified throughout this earth. So, Lord, help us to do that as a congregation. Help us to see beyond what we do on a Sunday morning or what we might do in the middle of the week. But help us to see, Lord, a vision like your disciples had of a church that started so small and now embraces billions of people throughout the world. Lord, we want to see your name glorified. Help us to do that, Lord. Show us your vision of what it is that you want and give us the courage to chase after it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. And extra thanks to those that have donated to us online. It's your generosity that enables us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. If you would also like to support us, visit ybc.church give. You can also access our website to find out more about our community by visiting yokinebaptist.church or by connecting with us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to this message, 
be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and God bless.